0: This episode is brought to you by Playapod, the best cross-platform podcast app for iOS and Android. Just visit Playapod.com
1: and download it for free.
0: Oh good, you're up. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a very, very long time. Um, What you're about to listen to is an extremely old recording now. It was recorded back with all the other episodes that were released at the start of 2018, but After the interview with myself went live, uh, it may have triggered some unfortunate events. It kind of took the wind from my sails in regards to doing the podcast and made me a bit more frightened to put personal content out there. You know, in retrospect, looking back, that episode was kind of a good conclusion to the season. So I kind of figured we could leave it like that as a series. But there was two episodes that were also recorded before. I got through real after that last episode that have remained dormant and and unedited and and unreleased, and it's been on my mind a lot about putting them out there because I think some of the wisdom shared it deals with a lot of subjects that are still extremely close to my heart, you know, social media etiquette challenging your own thoughts and the way that feeds into your creativity and the way one's mental health is influencing almost everything that's going on and you know, you I can listening back when I was editing this, I could really tell that I was ill. I'm quite mumbly, I'm struggling to say proper questions, a bit like I am now. But the the guests are just so good I feel it's not fair for me to not put these episodes out. So I think this is me finally getting these podcasts out there as part of my twenty nineteen comeback tour. Nah I'm kidding, but I don't know, obviously 2018, for those who know me or have even listened to the podcast, I know it's been an incredibly difficult ride. And 2019, I'm really looking to get back on my feet. You know, I think I've had everything thrown at me now. You know, even recently I've had a life-changing diagnosis and I just want to get some stuff out there and do what I love. So I've got a new comic book coming out this month and I want to do some more podcasts and just produce some content and hopefully you guys will enjoy it too. So without further ado, please enjoy. (laughs) This last episode of the Declaration of Independence with BJ Mendels. Hate it.
1: Welcome to the Declaration of Independence with your host Reese Finley.
0: Awesome. So Brandon, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's uh. I've been really surprised by how welcoming the comics community is, and again, the comics podcasters in particular, so I've sort of just been blown away by by how welcoming everyone is, so just thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to to do this and to take the time and speak with you.
0: Thank you, man. Um, so you're quite new to the world of comics, but you're coming out yeah. from a world of writing and you've been a speaker for quite a long time, so let's go back to the beginning and
1: how did we this start for you well so i've had like shitty web comics um <laughs> that i've been doing since like 2002 and i've successfully pulled like almost all of them offline i now i now have them in like in a dropbox folder that'll i never ever uh <laughs> open up and share with anyone but uh so i knew i knew pretty early on i wanted to to do comic books i was just afraid that i wasn't good enough to do it and so uh, I, you know, I'm a big George Carlin fan and he always talks about how he had this plan and the plan was if I do radio then they have to let me do comedy and if I do comedy then they'll have to let me do TV and if they let me do TV then they'll have to let me do movies and that was sort of his goal was was to eventually become an actor and so I, I sort of borrowed that where I was kind of like okay well if I you know, if, I'm a, if I become a writer, then they'll let me write a book. And if I write a book, then maybe I can get into comics. And so uh, through a roundabout way, that's sort of what brought me here. But yeah, I, I've been, since I was 18 years old, I've been traveling around the world and uh, writing about the internet and some of the different issues that come up uh, with the usage of it or you know, what happens to our data after we've given it all to Facebook and things like that. So that's that's generally been my world since about 20 up, up until about 2016 almost 20 years and then finally i said you know what uh, i don't enjoy this like i don't uh, i always have a blast when i do my presentations and i'm talking to people but i don't actively enjoy uh, reading these books and doing all the research that it entails that i rather do something else and that that's something else was always comic books
0: okay because your first two books were social media is bullshit and right. that's privacy right. and how to get it back, and I mean, yeah, that is both a third of these topics there too. are so so relevant in this day and age, especially with everything going on in Facebook in recent weeks.
1: Yeah, that's the crazy thing. Uh, so there was there was three books in there. One of them was Ghostwritten. Uh, it's done. I don't know if it's ever coming out, but uh, yeah. So the first book was all about social media and then sort of the. The effects of uh, just the way we look at it and what it can and can't do and sort of the effects of it on society at large. And then the second book, which is the ghostwritten one, uh, was about how all the tech companies actually became multi-billion dollar companies. And it turns out that they they are all sort of shitty and unethical, uh, which <laughs> led me into the privacy book, which was all about, uh, you know, when these tech companies are being shitty and unethical, the first thing that goes out the window is your right to privacy uh, and what, what's going on with your data and what, what's being done that you think you've agreed to, but you really have no idea. And so, yeah, that's that's sort of been my, my sphere that, I, that I've played a lot in. But, I mean, I've always been a comic book reader since the 1990s when I was like eight years old. You know, I had the original Infinity Gauntlet poster with a George Perez art. Uh, up on my wall and my first comic was Jim Valentino's Guardians of the Galaxy so I I always sort of knew where I wanted to go I just I just kept getting detoured and so the detour took me into books
0: and I assume comics are quite a strong presence as well because you're on the east coast is it New York
1: am I right in thinking yeah so I'm in I'm an hour north um, but you know New York is significantly different so the joke the joke with New York City is that the world ends at the Lincoln Tunnel uh, and nothing exists beyond it, and I lived about an hour from the Lincoln Tunnel. So it's New York, but you know I didn't have a comic book store until I was about fifteen, sixteen years old. I had to go uh, to a little convenience store that was down the roads from my from my parents' house, and more or less just had to buy the comics that they had, uh, and that was Guardians of the Galaxy and Archie and a couple other things. So uh, yeah, even though I was in New York, I was always sort of removed from the comics epicenter, you know in Manhattan, because it's It was always tricky for me to get to.
0: Awesome. So then your comic that's just not that recently, quite recently, somewhat recently, and been released is Vengeance Nevada. That's right. So Uh, summarize that for us in a media-friendly soundbite.
1: Yeah. So it just asks the question of what would happen if you suddenly got everything you ever wanted. And uh, I thought that that was a really compelling story to tell, uh, particularly from a villain's point of view, because we tend to think, well... If uh, it's sort of like this thing you see on Twitter, right? Like all of a sudden someone's tweet goes viral. And then right under that tweet, you're going to see. I saw this last night. uh, So this has been going on for a decade now. Right under that tweet, they were like, oh, hey, while you're paying attention, um, I would like to tell you about all the charities that I like and you should give to uh, all these wonderful causes. And so uh, typically, you know, when we think, well, if I had everything I ever wanted, I'd be altruistic and virtuous. And I, I sort of wanted to come at it from a different angle of. Uh, this person who learned very early on that life isn't fair, you know, she's a native American. So even going back into her history, she knows uh, that life isn't fair, but then through her own experience, she's just seen a very unjust world. And now she has, you know, the ultimate power to do whatever she wants. And so uh, that, that's really what we see is what happens when you get everything you ever wanted, but this time uh, from the perspective of someone that wants to make the world fair again.
0: That's a really interesting tone. Obviously that's something you touched on with your books. It's kind of, to get to the top, you kind of have to, to get what you want, you have to sell out and lose what is making it. up have completely lost my So No, but
1: know, that's, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's something that's, you know, I, I really like that because that's something that uh, I don't think anyone has mentioned, but it, it's certainly common in all three of the books where, yeah, you've had uh, these companies talking about sharing and values and caring about their customers. And meanwhile, they, they hire notorious spammers and they do all this shitty stuff with your data that you don't know about. Uh yeah so that, that's def- that's that's awesome. I'm glad that you made that connection because I really hadn't thought of it either but uh yeah I think that Kristen Jacobs who's the main character in Ben Sabata's certainly uh certainly was influenced by some of the work I've been doing with the books.
0: Do you feel obviously the title of your book is social media is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel that has influenced the way you behave and promote your book on social media because obviously with indie comics especially social media is the front line of promotion yeah. and getting the word out
1: there. So, I talk about it in the book. Uh, it says right on the back cover that I'm not necessarily talking about the platforms. Uh, what's, so, just for, by way of background, social media's bullshit really came out of the Great Recession. And uh, we had a lot of people that were former real estate brokers who decided to buy themselves suits and ties and make themselves into social media experts. Uh, and they started running around and parroting what these other people. Uh, like Gary Vaynerchuk and Seth Godin. And all, all, you know, the typical people you think of are when you Google social media marketer. Uh, and, and those people were all sort of peddling like this really terrible advice uh, because the thing we find in any sort of gold rush moment, you're seeing here right now, Bitcoin and uh, blockchain, where the people who get rich are the people who are selling the shovels. They're not the people that are digging for gold. And, and so the, when I said social media is bullshit, the, the book is really tackling that. Like it's tackling the mythology around the platforms not necessarily the platforms themselves and one of the things i mentioned is that you know if you are a part of certain groups uh depending on what it is that you want to sell social media can be great or can be really awful part of the problem with marketing books is that each person is different you know the advice that i give you might be completely different for a person that asked me a similar question because you have different products that you want to sell and so yeah for comics uh i've actually tell people all the time you know that's certainly a use case for Twitter because the comics community has embraced Twitter. The pro wrestling community has embraced Twitter. Uh, the LGBTQ comics community, which I'm a part of, uh, heavily uses Twitter. And so there's there's this perfect case of, yes, you should absolutely use social media in that specific instance. Uh, but in a different instance, that might be totally different depending on what the product is. And that's really what I was getting at with the book.
0: So, yeah, I think with time, do you feel... Facebook especially with the, the sponsored posts and stuff, it almost feels like these days putting your word out there about your products, your book, your music or your indie movie or whatever, it's like throwing a ship a message in a bottle into an ocean full of messages in bottles. <laughs> uh
1: Lewis Black has this great routine. I talked about this in the so the privacy book opens up and I basically tell you that Uh, advertising on facebook can be effective if you have a lot of money but if you don't if you're like most indie comic creators and you're on a shoestring budget you absolutely should not be advertising on facebook and uh who's black has this whole routine about when he goes to vegas he doesn't go to gamble on the casino floor Uh, what he does is he takes his quarters and he flushes them down the toilet and uh, he says you know occasionally it backs up and i'm a winner Uh, and i (laughs) And that's sort of what how I describe advertising on Facebook. You know, occasionally there are people who have these great successes, but for the most part, it's just you flushing money down the toilet. So, uh, yeah, typically, I, I, it's any sort of social media advertising or advertising on the web, I, I tend to try to steer people away from. Instead, uh, you know, I, I I try to live by example, and so everything I've done with venture Nevada is I I literally sat. For weeks finding comics podcasters and members of the comics media and contacting each and every single one of them. But then I, why did I find this list of like 10,000 podcasters? And I went down every single person on that list because I knew that that, uh, it, it was time consuming, but it also, the, the return would be better because I'm not spending money, I'm just spending my time, uh, to reach out to people.
0: I think that kind of answers the question I was about to ask, you know, as someone who both in comics and quite the expert on social media. And the way it operates, what tips would you give for someone starting out? I mean, with these podcasts, it tends to be listened to by fellow artists and writers and creators.
1: I think the thing that sort of drives me crazy. So I so mentioning that 10,000, that list of 10,000 podcasters, which I've I've talked about a little bit in different interviews. uh, One of the biggest problems everyone makes is that they're all over the place. And so they'll be like, hey, I'm a podcaster, but I'm also like a historian and a librarian and I'm, I'm really into Greek mythology. And so uh, this is a podcast about all those things. <laughs> it's sort of like, uh, that's great, but people don't have any sort of attention span. So you need to say very quickly who you are, what you do and why you're doing it. And then that's sort of it. And so that's sort of the biggest thing is, you know, when you asked me to describe Vengeance Nevada, I said, well, it's really about this very basic question we all have about what we would do if suddenly we got everything we ever wanted. Uh, Like that's very simple, straight into the point. You know, it's, it's very media friendly. Uh, I made the mistake early on where it was like, Hey, you know, it's a supernatural science fiction, sci-fi horror, comic book uh, thing. I was like, okay, that is not at all how, how you have to, so you have to understand that people do not have time and attention, especially for new things. They have time and attention for things that, that have already been validated to them in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so that's that's sort of the first thing is you you have maybe a second to sell who you are and what you do, and it, it has to be so simple that even your grandparents can understand and share it uh, without you prompting them or, or kind of tweaking them to share it.
0: And this is going to translate perfectly to you know being on the convention floor or the artist alley selling the right. book. You know the the pitch has to be short.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I. I haven't yet – so I I had this plan, right? I haven't yet gotten into the part of the plan that involves the conventions. I'm sort of – I plan things by decade, which uh, which is something else. Like if you're listening to this and you want the best marketing advice that you can ever get, it's this. Uh, Nothing happens overnight. It will probably take like a decade (laughs) for you to get uh, to a point where you're making money and you're happy and comfortable and getting the press coverage and the attention that you think you deserve – uh Lewis Black, who I mentioned before, you know, he said that he wasn't making money until he was forty, so just something to keep in mind like you got to have like this really long term plan and so my first the first part of the plan was just putting out digital comics and seeing how they do and seeing how the comics media uh interacted with me and if they were receptive and so far, everyone has been very positive about the comic and uh and talking to me, so I'm like, okay, well now we're moving into prints for the for the new comic that's coming out next month. Uh, we're going to do a print run, and that means going to conventions. And you're exactly right, where if you're on the convention floor, the odds are good people aren't there for you. You know, they're there. They're probably killing time because they want to see a panel with, uh, uh, what's her name from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Uh, Chloe Bennett. You know, and so in order to kill, like, 15, 20 minutes before getting in line for the panel, that they, they might go into the artist alley. So in that 15, 20 minute window that they're in the artist alley, you know, they're going to look for names, right? They're going to look for George Perez and Ron Mars and and uh, Jeff Johns and people like that. They're not looking for you at all. And so you've got maybe a second to be like, hey, here's a book. It's awesome. You should read it. Uh, and you definitely don't want to lead with it's, it's a sci-fi horror comedy superhero adventure because they're just going to walk away.
0: How do you feel about it's, it's a common one in the UK? I don't know how it is in the American scene. It's if you like X, you'll love our book. So it's like if you love yeah. you know, Firefly and Guardians of the Galaxy, you'll love our book.
1: So uh, in the United States, there's this thing called the Hollywood shorthand, which is tip, which is exactly that. Like that's you know, if I wanted to sell you uh, on a movie, I might say it's Die Hard meets X, and X is whatever the you know the, the other element is. And so uh, you see, Marvel does that do, does that with all of their films, where they're like, well, you know, Avengers: Infinity War is actually a heist film. You know, just disguised with, with superheroes and so uh, I think that that can work. I, I think that you waste too much time in you waste too much headspace to do that because I think that once you once you mention whatever it's X meet, meets y, if it's something that they don't like, then they're immediately going to stop listening to you. So you might think that Die Hard is the best movie ever made, but you say, "Hey, well, you know, it's Die Hard meets uh, Three Ninjas go to whatever space mountain." Uh, the one, I'm referencing the one with Hulk Hogan in it. and that. And so they might be like, "Why well, I hate both of those films. I don't. I don't want anything to do with you." I, I think it's really just better to, to do what kind of what I do with Avengers: battle, where it's like, "Hey, what happened? What would happen if you suddenly got everything you ever wanted?" Well, this comic answers that question. I think if you could do – and Marvel sort of had to do this too. I think people forget that Marvel throughout – up until Disney bought Marvel, they historically struggled like nonstop. There was – either there was bad ownership or there was a time where DC controlled uh, how many books per month Marvel can put out. People forget that. And so really early on in the 60s with uh, Stan Lee and the much fabled Marvel bullpen – when they were pitching and coming up with new concepts, they were like, OK, uh, with great powers comes you know, great responsibility. How do we how do we sell that message? And each Marvel character and comic spoke to something that was really universal to people. And that's how they sold it. That's how they pitched it. So I think that's sort of the, the tactic for us to take is to look at, you know, back with Stan Lee and early Marvel, where they're like, all right, well, what are these fundamental human problems? And let's see how our character deals with this. And then so Tony Stark, in a lot of respects, is this guy has everything he's ever wanted. Why isn't he happy? And that, that was sort of the lead to the early Iron Man comic. And so that, that's really what I think we should do uh, if you want to capture people's attention very quickly.
0: What you're saying is that like, if you're comparing so you're automatically dividing the audience.
1: That's right. But my, yeah,
0: my thought somewhere is kind of I don't want something that's like Star Wars as a consumer because Star Wars already exists.
1: That's right. Why yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I you know it's like with Guardians of the Galaxy because a lot of people pitch that as you know it's Marvel Star Wars. I was like, no, man, that that's you're, you're doing Guardians of the Galaxy a disservice. I mean, sure, it's set in space, but it's its own thing. In fact, you can make the argument that Guardians of the Galaxy influenced Star Wars because now the Last Jedi had a lot more jokes in it, which is something that you would have seen in Guardians. So yeah, by by comparing it to something else, yeah, it can be useful. I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing it out of hand, but it's certainly true that. Uh, you're immediately putting yourself in the box that you don't want to be in.
0: Yeah. I mean as a consumer it's there's certain tactics, be it on Twitter or on, you know, the, the convention floor that automatically turn me off the book and comparisons to other things is the instant one or the hard sell. Yeah. They come in trying to sell it before even pitching it. You know, you've you've got your one sentence pitch that's that's great, it's a great way to sell me on it because there's no pressure, you're not Asking for money straight up is not here's my book, yeah five dollars, and then tell me what it's about.
1: So I have I have that problem with uh Kickstarter and Patreon. Uh that's one of the things that you know, I self-fund all my comics, uh, which is not as easy as it sounds. I don't want anyone to think that like I'm just rolling around in money and so I'm like, hey, here's a comic book. Uh but the reason why I do that and don't do Kickstarter is for exactly that reason, because you get a lot of people who are like Hey, I've got this entire series, and it's going to run for a hundred issues. And uh, would you give me ten dollars? And I'm thinking I haven't read like issue one. I have no idea if this is going to be good. But you know, you're leading with this this hard sell. You're asking me to make this big commitment, and that doesn't that's not to speak to the quality of the book. The book might be great, but you're asking someone to make a commitment, and that's that's what you do. the exact opposite of what you want to do when it comes to sales. The, the only way that you can sell someone anything in life, and this is true for the, as it is for comics as is anything else is you have to find out if the person even wants that thing in the first place and more often than not the answer is no so you just don't bother those people like everybody is not your audience you just find the person who wants who just so happens to wants the, the thing that you're selling and then that's your audience
0: how do you feel about the, the connection between crowdfunding comics and social media do you feel maybe that's the loudest way because i don't know i know when a book's been kickstarted, but you don't know when a book's been self-funded
1: Right. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing. It's the same way I don't dismiss like Twitter, right? Like Twitter has a great use case for the comics community. So if you're a comics creator, you should be on Twitter. And Kickstarter, I think we've also seen some pretty good stuff come out of it. I, oh, I There's some
0: amazing stuff on there. But there's also some amazing stuff being self-funded. And right. I don't know. I think I it's more admirable when someone's brave enough to up different money.
1: Yeah, I so I, I you know I I'm saying this with the sensitivity that I understand that that's not possible for people for a lot of people. But if it is possible, I, I do recommend you do that before you kickstart anything. Like it's for one thing, it's more rewarding, um, especially when you get that first royalty check from like Comicsology or whatever, and you're like, oh, this is this is a thing, and then this thing is actually making money, and I'm making the money back, which is uh, which is wonderful. But I think also that you're not beholden to anyone like when the second that someone comes in and makes a kickstarter contribution they are going to have certain expectations of what the book is and what it does and i don't think i would have been able to do vengeance nevada if it was a kickstarter book because it's it's designed to be it's not an easy read like it's you might breeze through reading it but you have to go back and read it a couple times because there's going to be a shit ton of stuff that you missed and there's stuff in there like I put the ending of the comic in the first issue, like, you know, I'm not going to hide from it. Um, but telling the story in that way and, and having a comic that, that's a little that's a little more time consuming for you to sit and read through, I wouldn't have been able to do with Kickstarter because Kickstarter would have been like, All right, I have my own expectations and this book did not live up to it, therefore I don't like it. Uh, this, you know, I'm self funding, I can do whatever I want, and if you like it, that's great, and if you don't like it, that's okay too.
0: Do you feel the marketing for that is different as well? Because I guess when you don't owe it to the, what the word, be? backers? That's the word. So you know, when you when you have you know 100 or so backers waiting to hear from you, you've, you've got to with one hand you've got to prove to them you're still working, you're still working on it, it's going to come out. They're going to get this, this, and this. While on the other hand, actually working on the thing and it's almost <laughs> the retention.
1: Yeah, uh, I I know that I've I've talked to a number of people I've given um, because, you know, I used to work as a marketing consultant. So I've given a lot of like Kickstarter advice. And, uh, yeah, that's like the chief complaint is now all of a sudden you have like 100 to 3,000 to 10,000 people. And, you know, you've got to update them while also doing your book. And I'm a big believer that you can't. I mean, we found through neuroscience and a lot of recent biological studies that humans are very bad at multitasking. So to me, when you have like 100 people with this weight of their expectations and you have to stop it and more or less entertain them, uh, you're, you're take, I do think that you're taking time away from the book and not making the book as good as it could be. I know I'm, uh, people will argue with me on that and that's okay because um, I'm not at all saying I'm an expert. But uh, yeah, I, I would agree that I think if you can still fund the comic, it, it does allow you to put the most time and attention into it that you can and not have to worry about anything else. And I think that that leads to a better product, ultimately.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to discredit anything done on Kickstarter. It's perfectly right. doable. It's just considerably harder because not only are you the writer or the illustrator of your comic, you're also the marketing guy. You're also the money guy. You're your own editor in most cases. You're doing all these jobs.
1: And those jobs are often full-time jobs. You know, I think one of the problems that people run into and the reason why they need marketing consultants in the first place is that they don't realize how time-consuming marketing actually is. Like, that's, you know, I talked about that 10,000 podcast OS. That takes me hours to get through. Like, that, it, it may sound like, oh, you've got 10,000 entries, but I've got to manually go through each one and see if the podcast is active and see if they have any sort of social media presence. And then I got to go and find their email and write them an email. Because, uh, I'm, you know, I write individual emails to each one of them. You, you should, absolutely should not be copying and pasting. Uh, that, that's a full-time job. Like, that, for the privacy book, I did the same thing where I had that list of privacy experts. It took me at least four months uh, of just nonstop grinding through that list. And that was time that I I was supposed to be working on uh, this pitch for a cartoon. And it was going to be like a parody of Sailor Moon uh, involving uh, uh, different countries, different superheroes representing different countries. And so I was like, you know, this is really funny. And I I maybe got a page of the pitch done and drawn and, and put out there. And I was like, I, I had no time to work on this because I just spent all the time marketing. And so, yeah, it, it takes, I, I think people underestimate how much time it takes to do all of those jobs. And I think that uh, your job first and foremost as a creator is to create.
0: Especially with indie comics, it's a good 50% of indie creators are quite introverted. So while they can be incredibly talented writers or illustrators, maybe selling a product to someone face-to-face at a convention or online is a bit more difficult for them. And
1: yeah. So it's, I mean, it's hard for me.
0: Advice or <laughs> feel would, would be really beneficial.
1: Uh, I mean, it's, uh, so I have, um, yeah, I'm exactly one of those creators, or at least I was up until about a year ago, because uh, I have OCD and I have a, a massive amount of anxiety. But it, So I'm one of those people where in the past I've gone up and done presentations in front of, like, thousands of people, and I've flown to, uh, I went to, like, Moscow, of all places, <laughs> to do, like... Uh, a presentation and you know I was in a room filled with hundreds of people who did not speak English and I was really worried as to whether or not my jokes were going to translate and so uh, I'm one of those people where I'm on stage I'm good but if you were to put me in that crowd and have to converse with those people I would be awful Uh, so yeah I definitely understand like if you're a creator uh, what that you know what what that anxiety is like but the, the trick to it and the trick that I found if you're if you're like me and you're sort of just Uh, uneasy with people is to approach it as um, disconnected as possible. And so uh, I referenced George Carlin earlier. He used to say that, you know, I do not identify with a local group. So he was saying, I'm a a member of the human race, but I do not (laughs) identify with my fellow humans. I look at it as uh, as this big grand TV show or big grand experiment. I just so happen to be watching it. And I found by detaching myself and, and just focusing on the book, and saying, hey, I have, I've got this book. And then sort of memorizing what to say about the book. And then uh, feeling confident about the book has really helped me. And so I went and I read like every self book that was out there. That I read, uh, How to Win Friends Influence People. And I was like, okay, well, how do I apply this to selling a comic? And so now uh, I've got in my mind like these pre-recorded bits of information that I can break out. Like this one time I was a mall Santa or this One time that... Uh, an eighth grader like you know a 12 year old challenged me to a parole in a parking lot so yeah uh, in my back pocket I have these stories that I can share with people on the convention floor that that would make them laugh and then I can go into sort of my pre-programmed spiel about the comic and, and so uh, what I'm trying to get at is you know I understand the anxiety but the more rehearsed you are the more practiced you are uh the more that you will be comfortable in pitching people. And the other thing is that you just have to keep doing it. So uh part part of the way that I got over my social anxiety was, you know, I've been doing podcasts nonstop for about a year now. And it's just been me talking and telling stories. And uh it's just doing each one makes me more and more comfortable than I was for the last one. And so that's true also for going to conventions where the first one is going to be absolutely nerve-wracking and you might want to run... And hide in the bathroom because you've got serious flop sweat, which is something that happened to me once. Um, but you find that the next one's a little easier, and the third one it's easier than the last. And so it's some of it's just being well rehearsed, and then the other half of it is you just got to keep doing it.
0: Awesome! I think that's a great nugget, of wisdom really. Because I know this is this is something of, kind of on my mind a lot recently. I'm currently undergoing cognitive behavioral therapy. In regards, oh, I know to, it well. To kind of to do with self belief and self confidence and all that sort of thing after about a major depression and it's almost like i've got to sell myself as a product so he was talking about having this belief in the product in my head i'm like oh i could i could treat myself as the product and kind of
1: yes that's that's brilliant that's that's exactly right uh you you are a product uh we all are uh <laughs> whether or not you subscribe to the belief of Eastern philosophy, where we're all one subconscious experiencing itself subjectively, or uh, if you're more Western, then you know Western society is entirely built around selling things, and uh, every day you have to sell yourself. So um, yeah, I think thinking of yourself as a product that you want to constantly work on and improve that's that's similar to a mindset that I've also taken while going through CPT and I found, uh, reading books like How to Win Friends and Influence People and The Richest Man in Babylon and uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and all those books, when you read through those books and you approach it as, all right, well, how do I apply this to me? Like, what's a habit I can do right now? Uh, what's a small habit? If you read um, the Charles Duhigg book, The Power of Habit, you know, what's something I do that I want to fix so that I can work on right now? I, I think that that's a brilliant approach in saying, um okay well i've got this comic and we've i've read every marketing book there is to to do so why not why not me why can't i take a similar approach and uh we found that with the way the brain wires itself you know it takes time but you absolutely can reprogram a lot of bad habits and beliefs and and turn them into good ones with that approach my only concern about is it, it sounds a bit cold right yeah oh sure um but again, like to me, I, it depends on sort of what you gravitate towards, right? Like I, I found if I approach it very clinically and detached, I'm not so hard on myself where in the past I, you know, I would have, uh, let's say, okay, so I'll give you an example. One of the things they tell people is if you want to go to the gym, you have to create a habit to go to the gym. And so what, you know, what are the obstacles that gets you to the gym? One of them is, well, I gotta get up and I gotta go, I gotta get changed. And so, What's the solution to that problem? Taking your gym clothes and your sneakers and setting them out by the bed so that when you get up every day, it's right there. It's the first thing that you do is you get right into your gym clothes and go to the gym. And so when you're approaching things clinically, if you have a setback, you're a little easier on yourself. Whereas if you wake up in the morning, at least I found this, uh, if you're more emotionally invested in it, you can be really hard on yourself when you don't follow that habit. Like I had that the other day where – I've been trying to change my sleep schedule, and uh, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I want to do is read through one of the books that I'm working on, and when I don't read the book, I'm really hard on myself, thinking, you know, I've, I've just wasted that time, but if you approach it clinically and you're like, okay, well, I didn't do it today, but I'm going to do it tomorrow, and I'm going to do it the day after that, I found it's easier to stay, at least for me, it's easier to stay in the habit of working out, because you're not going to get it overnight, uh, you know, it takes like 90 days for your brain to really pick up a new habit and kind of start wiring it within your head. So, uh, approaching it with that distance allows you to be like, all right, well, there's going to be setbacks, and uh, when that setback happens, uh, I'm I'm prepared for it.
0: Okay, that's much more reassuring. Because whenever I think of like whenever books like that are raised, I my brain immediately goes to like pick up artists and stuff. Right. Oh yeah. Techniques to yeah. almost like an instruction guide on how to manipulate people the the way you just described
1: that is quite the opposite and I'm I'm kind of reassured now. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um uh, those guys have pro- I mean uh, here's here's the funny thing. Most of the stuff they talk about works, but it's also very like cynical and a little cr- creepy because it's manipulative. Yeah, and completely uh, impersonal
0: um, as well. There's zero yeah. personality
1: in there. And so I don't I mean like I don't necessarily you know subscribe to that it's certainly not believe, but yeah. I definitely prefer the other approach of, you know, just look at it the way George Carlin looked at it. Uh, you know, I, I am I'm a member of the human species, but I do not identify with the local group so I can watch things very objectively. Uh, and that allows me to, to not be as hard on myself as as it would be if I made a mistake.
0: Yeah. And I don't know the way you described it with, you know, say, getting up to go to the gym. It's, it's you doing you. It's your right. personal philosophies, and you're just kind of asserting it rather than... Adhering to someone else's rules about how to live a life and kind of just stick into that because I feel there's almost like a loss of self in that Yeah,
1: you you become a drone. That's that's sort of my big concern with a lot of the self-help books It's actually why I'm writing. So I'm working on a new book uh, That's called don't be evil And it's about all the self-help books I read and it's exactly that where it's like, well, you know if you follow all this advice and You're just turning yourself into a drone and you've lost your independence and you lose what makes you unique uh, that's sort of like all the people who read um, the Ryan Holiday books and the Jocko Wilnick books, where they all buy themselves that little quarter or whatever it is, and it says Memento Mori on it. Uh, and it's like, okay, yeah, that was great for the first 10 people I saw do that. But there's like thousands of people who now have that stupid quarter that are all taking pictures of themselves yeah. with it. Uh, or the people who are like taking pictures of what time they wake up in the morning. It's like, great, you're a robot. <laughs> like you've the lost individuality The individuality
0: is before. very uniform.
1: Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's definitely been one of the incidents I've also had with those books is you don't want to go too far into it because you just sort of lose who you are. I take it more of um, I. saw so I'm an atheist, and so my my whole philosophy is just based around what can I do today to make the world better for my friends and family and society at large. And but you know that's all I do is is built around that framework. And so uh, I found that that's very freeing. Where I, where when I do read a book by Tony Robbins, where I'm like, okay, well, that's bullshit. That, that really yeah. doesn't uh, mesh with my philosophy, so I'm not going to follow it. So, I mean, everyone's different, but I, I tend to, I, I like the approach of just taking things very day by day and very objectively or as objectively as you can.
0: I guess you got to have a lot of belief in your own moral compass to yeah. know that other things around you aren't necessarily. What well, the is, so I think it's especially when, even especially in the world of social media. A lot of opinions and philosophies are presented as fact.
1: Yeah, I, that's that's. Uh, I mean, we we just had. I, so you had the issue over there with Brexit, and we had the issue over here with Trump, where we had a lot of people that were sharing things that just weren't true. When uh, most people in the UK after Brexit happened, like the top Google search was "What is Brexit," uh, and over here in the United States, when Facebook was uh, having their congressional. Testimony, we actually saw a massive spike in usage of Facebook uh, during that time and so uh, Yeah, no, that, that's something that that's that's absolutely very true. It's it's hard It becomes hard to separate what's what's truth and what's fiction then especially with social media
0: ground yourself and separate the false information from the facts I, I, and the biased so angles on th- things
1: I think it was I don't know if it's the long Halloween or if it's in the long Halloween sequel uh, but Batman asks throughout the series who benefits, and that's that's ultimately the question that leads into finding out, who, figuring out who the Holiday Killer is. Or uh, spoiler alert for the second one, you know, finding out that Sofia Falcone uh, is not actually crippled and was actually the mastermind of of this whole elaborate revenge plot. And so, yeah, that's sort of my approach when I look at social media. Is I, you know, I always ask myself, all right, who benefits from this information, and then I, that's sort of how I. I filter things. And That's true for both sides. Yeah, it's not a liberal conservative thing. That's just a person thing. Uh, the good news is that most humans have very good bullshit detectors. The bad news is that if you put us in a group, uh, the bullshit detector goes right out the window uh, because we're herd animals. We tend to just copy what everyone else is doing. You know, that's why monkey see, monkey do is not only a funny thing to say, but the absolute truth of humanity. Uh, and so that's you know something you got to look out for in social media where. If this thing is going viral, our bullshit detector will go right out the window, and we'll we'll parrot that advice for any number of reasons, just because other people are doing it too. Yeah, and
0: it's a scary concept.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the good news is that just you know, I, I have uh, you know, I, I mentioned George Carlin a lot because he's always been a hero of mine, and so I think of that. Uh, he, he used to have this joke where where he would say a person. Individually is smart and compassionate and kind and reasonable, uh, but people are really fucking stupid. <laughs> and so uh, I'm entirely focused on just people I, as an individual. And I found that that, that gives me cause to be optimistic because I know uh, you know, the Martin Luther King quote, Martin Luther King Jr. quote, the, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. And the reason why that's true is because people on an individual level uh, do have those bullshit detectives and will eventually uh, you know, after much prodding, do the right thing. So it, you know, I try to be as optimistic as I can.
0: That's a really nice way to look at it, actually. I think I'm going to try and keep that at the forefront of my mind because a lot of my recent health issues regarding my mental health and because obviously this, this podcast is you know, it's my rehabilitation after a suicide attempt, just getting back into the world. And That's all great. this was triggered by being in an environment where everyone's opinion differed to mine. So my opinion was the only one that differed from the norm. However, in my head, the, the morality of how I felt was the justified one. Not that I'm arrogant or right. So I'm right all the time, but it was a, I'm totally going to bleep this from a podcast, but it was a.
1: So I, I've been there. I definitely understand that fight.
0: It's a tricky one, but I guess just knowing you've done the right thing and tr- trusting your moral compass. I think going back to that is the, with, yeah. with all of this, be it selling your comics, be it just being a good person, just have a little bit of faith in your morality, unless you, you are like you think, people's okay or...
1: right. well i'm pleased to say that that's like only like less than a percent uh unfortunately it's a very violent percent of, of the human population uh but i think for the most part we we tend not to be sociopaths or at least i hope we're not
0: yeah i, like, I hope no murderers listen to this this is right. yeah, this is a nice people podcast
1: <laughs> you never know but hopefully uh, i think we'll be okay
0: but as we wrap up the show, we like to ask our guests to leave us with a little nugget of wisdom or a quote from George Carlin
1: if you want.
0: <laughs> Just, yeah. what's your kind of man- man- mantra towards life and your career?
1: Oh, so uh so I almost died um back when so uh I was invited to do a presentation in Wales and I went and I started to suffer from a heart I didn't know at the time what it was, but Uh, I was having a heart attack, and so uh, I managed to do my presentation, and then, like, I collapsed, and I was out for, like, 24 hours, and uh, little did I know how much better the healthcare was over there than it is here, but I uh, I struggled. Yeah, I know. Uh, I was telling someone this story just recently, and they're like, why didn't you just lay down in the field? (laughs) <laughs> like You should have just laid down in the field and let, let the uh, the healthcare system United Kingdom take care of you. And I, I didn't know at the time. So um, I managed to somehow crawl my ass back to Heathrow and then flew on a plane and then had massive heart surgery and almost died. Uh, I flatlined for a few moments between uh, surgeries and they, they had to revive me with shock paddles. And uh, I tell you all that because after that ordeal – uh, I was in the ICU for about a week, and I just kept thinking to myself, all right, um, I don't know what happened. It wasn't until a couple of months later that I sort of got the full details, but I know something bad had happened. So uh, from now on, I'm just going to sort of take things, you know, one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time. And, you know, I said earlier in the podcast that, I, that I've got this plan, but I don't hold on too tightly to that plan. Uh, you know, Alan Watts uh, often told people during his presentations, you know it's okay to have a plan, but just realize you can you could be dead tomorrow. so don't don't hold on too tightly. And so uh, you know, I kind of give both of those pieces of advice where uh, you should take things one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, and and certainly have plans for the future uh, and not get too crazy if something doesn't go your way because you have to understand that that's you're running a marathon and not a sprint, but at the same time, uh, while wow, it's okay to have that plan. You shouldn't hold on to it too tightly because you know, things, there are things that are outside your control that can happen. So when you do have a setback, uh your response should be to laugh at it and not not lose your shit.
0: Wow, that's that's probably the deepest bit of wisdom we've had. <laughs>
1: I'm happy that happy to share that. Hopefully, uh you know Hopefully, people listening. If I can get one person to take that to heart, I've done my job.
0: Yeah, I mean, we don't want them to be, you know. If you listen, don't go out, do a talk, have a heart attack, and then right. live your life That's like right. this. Don't do a Kevin Smith. Just
1: Right. Yeah. Just heed the yeah. wisdom. Exactly, <laughs> um, yeah. Hopefully hopefully you will not have a, a heart attack <laughs> at, at any point in your life. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the
0: show. Where can we find you on the bullshit that is social media?
1: <laughs> oh, um, so I do this thing. Uh, only, only follow, I only use Twitter to talk about comics and professional wrestling. So if you're into those things, you can cer- certainly follow me at BJMendelson.com. If you're not into those things, uh, certainly you don't have to. Uh, I tend to talk with my audience more through text. So you can find out about me and some of my writing and all my comics on BJMendelson.com. But if you want to keep up with me, just send me a text message. And so the phone number... I'll give you the country code so uh, it's 1 646 331 8341 I'll give the number again it's 646 331 8341 and the country code is 1 uh, and that's how I you know stay in touch with my audience and if you email if you text me with the word sheet rock it's spelled all it's spelled exactly as it sounds sheet as in sheet of paper uh, rock is in rock sheetrock Rock, if you text me the word Sheet Rock, I will send you a free PDF copy of social media is bullshit.
0: Boom. And all the links are going to that are gonna be in the description below. So great. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. That was brilliant.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. thank you for having me. Thank you for-